everyone, and welcome to episode 292 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again uh, by Ryan and Paul, who are doing this in person again in Ryan's dining room this weekend. We're uh, actually doing the record a little bit earlier than we normally do, so it's bright and early on a Sunday morning here. We've got our coffee instead of our uh, beers, hopefully, I guess. Uh, but how are you guys doing this weekend? I'm so tired. Um, so I just got back from Door County, and um, we were going to stay at this cute A-frame, and it, it flooded in all that big rain from last week. Um, and they oh, wow. they were nice VRBO people. They took care of us. They found us another place, and it was good. Like it had pools. Kids liked it. Good location, but it had a uh, it, it had two bedrooms, but one was a loft, so it really had one bedroom. It was just kind of one big room, really. <laughs> and so um, we. Uh, uh, other parents may be different than me, but for us, it's very important to stay in a room that's different from the one that our children are in. It just makes sleeping difficult. Um, and then we got back to my mom's house last night, and at about 11.30 when we were about to go to bed, uh, we found a found a gas leak smacked us in the face walking into the bedroom. So oh, had, wow. had to call We Energies, who also responded very promptly and came out to the house and indeed did find it and, and shut it off right quick. But... Um, we had to like you know get out of the house, so we had to oh, pull geez. the sleeping kids out of the house and find a place to stash. Them. So anyway, I haven't slept in like a really long time, and will be fairly worthless <laughs> on this podcast. But I'll do my best. <laughs> oh yeah, I I just have seen the Brewers lose baseball games in person. That's my problem. <laughs> yeah, we've got a question about that this week. We're gonna ask you where where maybe you should go from here in the second half ryan <laughs> well here's the thing i'm gonna be at the game in four hours so oh no yeah so uh -oh. don't 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 classic sunday before the all-star break uh brewer shenanigans probably gonna happen uh but we'll talk about that in a minute here a reminder uh we spend a lot of time every week on your questions, and the best way to get us a question is at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees your questions get answered not only on this podcast, but on Paul's reporting as eligible podcast during the Packers season. Five bucks, though, gets you that question priority, plus some additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire, which uh, came in handy this past week. If you are a patron, uh, you know that the MLB draft preview is already uh, there on Patreon and definitely worth a listen, especially as the first round gets underway on Sunday. Ryan, what did you guys kind of talk about in broad strokes? Yeah, so we uh, started by just kind of going over the Brewers situation, talked a little bit about last year and how they rearranged money a little bit. And James thinks they're a bit more likely to play it straight this year, just based on who might be available at 18 for them to take and for them not to need to do what they did last year, or for that opportunity not to be there the same way that it was um, last year. And then got into uh, what he thought of the top five, because this is kind of a, a group that's top five, though he really thought it was more top three. And then we talked about guys the Brewers might take. And I'm not going to spoil any of that, because those of you who paid for that <laughs> deserve to hear that <laughs> right. without... Uh, yeah, so, but uh, talked a bunch about that. He had a very strong opinion that they not take a certain guy. So that was one of the things. If uh, they do end up taking that guy tonight, you will probably hear James Howell about it um, wherever you are from Madison. <laughs> so um, that will be that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I'm curious to see. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that this could go. And the Brewers might actually be a little bit out of uh, their standard in this draft. They have definitely have a type. They have a way that they go, and that's really you know hit first up the middle defense guys, and that might not be what they do here. So we will we'll see, we will see. But uh, yeah, it's it'll be interesting. And the Brewers do have three picks uh, on day one. They pick at eighteen thirty three, and I think it's fifty four, fifty three, fifty four, something like that. Uh, so they'll they'll pick three times tonight. And so by the time you're listening to this, you'll already know who they they took with those picks. So um, and like I mentioned last week, they also have that uh, uh, the 12th most money to sign guys this year. So they have some flexibility and some some wiggle room to be able to do some things. We'll see how they choose to deploy that. Uh, one of the things that interested me listening to it was a story about Jacob Mizorowski and how uh 
the Brewers almost maybe didn't get him <laughs> or saw another division rival was up on him. Did you catch him at all in the Futures game, Ryan? Oh, I watched. Uh, yeah, I was home from yesterday's game in time to watch that. And uh, yeah, it, to say that he looked good would be a massive understatement. He was absolutely He's like the headliner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think he, he pretty much I from that game might be the headliner from that game. Um, he just opened a lot of eyes and man, his stuff is just so good. Those hitters looked completely overwhelmed and overpowered. And yeah. it did kind of get me thinking that like it would be pushing it to see him in the majors this year. But yeah. I wouldn't 100% discount that that could potentially happen um, down the stretch. I mean, it would it, the thing that they would probably run into more than anything is just innings limits and that. Right. And you wouldn't use him as a starter. Right. But potentially out of the bullpen. But next year, I think we're we're looking at a very strong possibility that we see Mizorowski, if his stuff plays that well uh, against the upper minors and you see him, you know, just consistently taking down double A and triple A hitters like he did yesterday, there isn't a lot. There's an old saying that uh, they don't check your ID when you walk out to the mound. And <laughs> it's just kind of like if you have the stuff, if you have the ability to get big league hitters out, you, like it, it, it's just sort of obvious and you can see it. And he seems to maybe be in that vein. So um, not that we should expect to see him in the majors this year or even, you know, next year. But there are some possibilities here for some things they could do with him because that stuff is just absolutely nasty. Yep. There ain't no such thing as a pitching prospect, I believe is the old one here. Yes. It's the <laughs> right, other one, yeah. yeah. Get it, get him up before his arm explodes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of in that vein. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so talking about the Brewers as they headed to the All-Star break here, uh, they split four games with the Cubs earlier this past week, and now they're playing the first half of six straight games against the Reds. Uh, stupid scheduling quirk there <laughs> that we need to talk about, but... Uh, both teams there, Brewers and Reds, trying to create some separation at the top of the division as we had through July. Uh, meanwhile, the Cup Series brought some frustrations. Uh, there was that blown ninth, ninth inning lead in which Devin Williams didn't give up any hard contact at all. Uh, defense was shoddy. Uh, Cubs ranted about the roof a lot for some reason in the game that they actually won. <laughs> and the Reds, uh, as always, very difficult to keep down for nine innings. So... I guess, Paul, let's just start with you. General thoughts on the events of the past week, the frustrating Cubs series, <laughs> and uh, just the Reds never seem like they're out of any game. I think the annoying thing for me about the Cubs series is that I like to be the person who says that first base is actually easy to play in uh, you know, in opposition to Moneyball and all that. And it actually does help to have a first baseman playing first base uh, at least yeah. a little bit, someone who's had some reps at least. Uh, and yeah, that, that experiment went badly, but... Um, at least they went 500 against the Cubs, and at least both teams were kind of even-handed in how they screwed up in various ways. Uh, and it's nice, honestly, I've been kind of getting soft on the Cubs over the last couple of years during their little rebuild they've had going on here. It's all that time you're spending with JR. It probably Paul. is, yeah. Yeah, too much JR time. Um, that, <laughs> ah, podcast inside jokes are fun. Um, but uh, I like that they complained about the roof. It was very LaRussian, and uh, it's nice to have them being annoying people again. And also, I, I like, I don't know, it must be a Twitter um, meltdown thing, but Bleacher Nation started coming on my feed again for some reason, which just <laughs> oh, will boy. make you instantly angry about the Cubs for no reason whatsoever. So um, uh, it's good they got out of there with a split because it was a lot of nonsense going on. And um, they were, you know, uh, they ran into their, their bullpen tiredness a little bit and their defense not being optimally aligned um that could have gone a lot worse honestly with just the, the way things kind of spiraled there so that's fine and i'm calling this a nine game red series not not six they have nine in 15 days which is even more right. ridiculous than six in a row is i feel like they've been doing six in a row around the all-star break mm -hmm. with some regularity yeah they got the pirates i think for coming in and out of the break last yeah. year which is stupid, but um, is normal. <laughs> but nine in so nine in fifteen plus the they're the last games against them of the entire season is extra yeah. ridiculous. Like you could have stuck a three gamer at the end of the season just in case it was a close race, but you didn't. Um, so 
Um, hopefully, they just come out of this treading water and the Reds don't win like seven. That would be bad. But um, so far, I mean, yesterday was ridiculous. But so far, so good. One and one to go. It's fine. It's all fine. The Brewers are 500 team. They're playing 500 ball. Keep playing 500 ball. Drag this puppy out to the end and maybe get lucky. Yeah, even with the loss yesterday, they are now four and two against the Reds. Yeah, that's right. They had a three one edge coming into this, so there's some buffer. Yeah. So going back to that Cubs series, which really was hell on earth in basically <laughs> every way. Right. It should have been worse, right? Like you well, thought they'd yeah. have been swept from the feel, from the vibes. <laughs> so the thing is, it's also like they could have swept that series. They also could have very easily been swept. Yep. And I think both fan bases feel hard done by a two and two split. Both fan bases feel like they should have been better than that yeah. in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to get the uh, can't come back from deficits monkey off the back on Monday. And then again on Tuesday, they that's came true. Back. Yeah. A six run the deficit six run was good. on Tuesday or on Monday and then a four run deficit on Tuesday. Um, they just couldn't finish the job there. Uh, you had the absolute just awfulness of uh, being thrown out at home all those times <laughs> on Tuesday. So yeah. Uh, the Owen Miller oh, of it all, he managed to get thrown out on the bases twice. And really, him getting caught at second was the worst thing, worse than anything Jason Lane did there. Him getting caught at second base to end the 10th inning when he stopped and didn't run it out. Um, he should have been standing on second base with two outs, and they should have had another chance to potentially win that game. Uh, but he got toot bland, like one of a cla- the classic toot blands. Yeah. Um, so there was that stupidity, and then you had the Devin Williams you know, blowing the lead on on Wednesday. On you're right, it was just there was no hard contact there. I was so mad. Dribblers and bad defense and finding the hole. Yeah, one of the lessons of that series, especially and that that blown save in particular, is that they cannot mess around with the one thing they're really good at. Like they can't like the Brewers in, in the recent past have been fine messing around with run prevention, putting Mike Moustakas at second base, doing wacky crap to get bats in the lineup. And they need bats in the lineup. But when they punt on on defense at all, it seems to always bite them. Like it seems to always find guys. And that's it's not good. They, they really I don't think can monkey with that too much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, came back to bite them there for sure. Um I guess let's uh, move to Patreon questions because there's one about the the Red Series here from My Only Lemonade uh, talking about one of the uh, highlights for the Reds, lowlights for the Brewers on Saturday. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz stole every base in the span of about three or four pitches there, which uh, would be super exciting if it wasn't maddening and happening against the Brewers, uh, especially, you know, Elvis Vaquero sit, sitting there and, uh, you know, turning his back on the, on the play and, and causing everything to go haywire. But uh, the question here uh, from my only lemonade asking the LED de la Cruz steal of home seems like a highlight. We'll see a majillion times. RIP Vaquero. Where does this rank in the all time list of infamous plays in Brewers history? I'm not talking heartbreaking plays. I'm talking poster material. The only thing that comes close for me is Sean Green's four home run game. So I guess, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, in terms of uh, the Brewers being the unfortunate other end of a highlight, where does this rank for you? Pretty high. Um, I also had a hard time coming up with anything super memorable. Like they've been on the back end of a couple no hitters um, for sure. I know Verlander got them at least once, but yeah. like nobody cares about no hitters that much like a week after they happen. Whereas this will be on Ellie's highlight reel, I think, kind of forever. <laughs> um, right. it's, it's his rookie of the year highlight. Yeah, right? even yeah. the Sean Green, like I remember the Sean Green occurrence very well as well. And I think of it not every now and then, but I think of it in the context of like what I do, like the Aramis home run for the Cubs against the Brewers, just something that beat the Brewers badly, not like a big historic occurrence. And see, the thing is, when you bring up the Aramis one, because that is actually where I was going to go with this. That one sticks out because it was so narrative driven. It like that was the narrative. The Brewers were off to this big lead. Aramis hits that home run, and that is in June of 2007 uh, at Wrigley. Mm-hmm. The Brewers were up, I think, five nothing in that game. The Cubs end up coming back to win it, and it was the beginning of them 
or not necessarily the beginning, but it was a major signpost in the fact that they were going to fade and that the Cubs were ascendant. And it, you know what? That may be, it's either 2007 or 2008. I can't remember exactly, but I remember 2007, that, I think. Yeah. yeah I remember the, the ball falling into the basket and it just being super, super annoying. So the thing about this is there's going to be all this talk. And all I saw yesterday on my timeline, which made me insane was all this Ellie is so electric stuff and whatever. Yes, it was a very heads up play and Ellie is a good player and a and that was like a super smart play for him to do it. But more than anything, that was a colossal colossal I'm just going to say it fuck up on the part of Pagero and it didn't even start with him ignoring uh Ellie on at, on third base there. It doesn't even start there. It starts in Ellie's at bat when he gets him down 0-2 and then proceeds to throw him like three straight strikes that he follows the first two off and then uh, gets a hit on the on the third one with the runner at third. That was the stupid part of the whole thing. It's a tie game. You have a runner on third, two outs, and two bases open. And you have Ellie down 0-2. What in every hell is he doing throwing him a strike there? That makes absolutely no sense. You, it's just standard at that point. And it was like he was trying to like be the bigger man and show that he could get Ellie out. It was like, it was this bizarre thing where I'm sitting there going, how are you throwing him strikes? And he does it again. And then he does it again. And I'm going, am I insane? What's going on here? And then when he does get the hit and then starts stealing all those bases, uh, he ignores him when he's on third. And Isenark pointed out that like Brian Anderson could have done a better job coming over, but it, it was in between the the both the batter who had just gotten the hit and it was in between two left-handed batters. So mm-hmm. Anderson is playing well off of third base because it's a left-handed batter. So I don't think that that's like, yeah, it might've helped it, but all Pagero had to do was turn around when everybody in the stadium was screaming. Um, <laughs> all he had to do was turn around and like either uh, Ellie's out at home in an, like an embarrassing play for him, or he he never even runs. Like that's all he had to do, and he just was like, I don't know. He just he completely flaked on the situation. Yeah, spaced out. Yeah, he just completely spaced, and it like and it was the they had lost the or sorry they had fallen behind on the hit. Right. It wasn't like. Ellie's run was the second run in that sequence. It was to go up two as opposed to being up one. So the real thing here is Piguero's impossible to understand decision-making on um, that. The fact he was throwing Ellie De La Cruz strikes, there's just no reason for it. No, there's not, not much to add to that. It's a bad sequence all around. Uh, People not being where they're supposed to be. Um, Not, you know, checking your runner who has a hundred sprint speed, um, right? Yeah, um, you you want to do that once in a while, whether it's Ellie or somebody else with a hundred sprint speed. That's just good sense. So yeah, but it's it doesn't matter. It's history now, and Elvis is going to be uh, you know the guy getting dunked on by Jordan every time that comes up for the rest of his career. So yeah, that's how that's going to go. Pagero is sorry. Yeah, Pagero's been very good this year. Yes, he has. Yeah. Like he's been good. He has been a big part of the reason why that bullpen has uh and it was going into yesterday. I haven't actually looked today, but he uh they led baseball in win probability added. They're at five point oh four going into yesterday. Now the Reds were in, in second. So the fact that the Reds bullpen pulled that out and the Brewers bullpen didn't, that at least closed the gap on that. But still, um this is yeah, you know, Piguero's been a big contributor to the fact that they've been good this year. Uh, in the bullpen and holding down close leads. But that was just an inexcusable lapse where I I don't know what the hell he was thinking. It's incredible. All right, moving on. Cyber Cleric has our next question on Patreon this week, asking, anecdotally, it seems that the Brewers may have turned a little bit of a corner with left-handed pitchers. Would you agree? Also, the Reds really can't keep scoring six, seven, eight, and sometimes more on a nightly basis, can they? 
the pitching has got to catch up with them at some point, right? So we, we kind of saw that on Saturday too, you know, uh, Weaver giving up a, a bunch of home runs there uh, to Willie Adama specifically, he almost gave up three uh, and the Reds were still able to come back. So um, I, I guess, Paul, can they keep this up? At this pace, they can. Their strength of that team is the offense. It's a really good offense, and mm-hmm. when they win games, it's because they do score that many runs. Their their pitching, uh, especially the starting pitching, isn't very good. The fact that the Reds are good at all is because they're able to to bang up a whole bunch of runs, and they're never out of any game. So, yeah, this can keep happening. We should not assume there's any regression happening there. The Reds, uh, to beat them, you need to control that offense um, with your own good pitching, and it's not an easy thing to do. So. Um, yeah, this is how they're built, and that is what you should expect when you play them, They, especially when we eventually end up in Cincinnati in the teeny tiny park. It's uh, really, really hard to keep them down there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're not going to be this good for the rest of the year because they've been absolutely just pummeling teams night in, night out for about two, three weeks here. This is their hot run of the season that way, but they are st- taking that aside they are still a very good offense Paul's right like they are one of the best offenses in baseball and that's largely because they do a great job of getting on base they don't even hit for particularly that much power it's more that they are just on base all the time and I think their sequencing probably has been pretty good in this run of things too It, it kind of would have to be because they aren't a big power hitting team like they're fine but they're not that that's definitely not a calling card of theirs the the main thing is they just do an incredible job of getting on base. So it, going back to Moneyball 1.0, like that is the thing to do. So taking a step back to the other part of this question, um, it's not just anecdotally. At this point, the Brewers have just about closed the gap on uh, their difference between right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching. Um, their season line at this point against right-handed pitching is 233, 314, 381, and that's a 695 OPS. And against lefties, it's 229, so only four points lower there, 308, so six points lower on the on-base, and 373, so that would be uh, eight points lower on the slug for a 681 OPS. So a 14-point split in the OPS is, that's getting to be, you know, to the point where it's it's almost negligible, yeah. um, but that's still low. That obviously being under seven hundred for OPS is not great. Um, it's not as bad. I think people that of our age and our ilk who sort of got to know OPS based on the steroid era numbers <laughs> um, kind of think of like eight hundred as a like a line of competence, and that's definitely not the line sort of of competence anymore. It's being under 700 is not the sin that used to be sort of an indication that like you sucked Uh and it's not that way anymore. The, the line has moved because teams there were people don't hit as well as they used to. If you're listening to this, you know that. Yeah. So still kind of sucks. It, it, it's not good. I mean, I don't know team rank wise where they are in the league. I have my iPad, uh, not my thing where that ranks in the league in terms of OPS. It's gotta be in the bottom six or seven at least though i would think i would think so so it's not good but the the specific issue with left-handers that's not so much the issue anymore now it's just like it's just not being great overall (laughs) yes hey man you all wanted them to uh have the the lefty numbers uh they're 25th by the way 25th in ops 25th in ops So again, and that's what what does that actually come out to be? It's like a six ninety OPS, six ninety two, six ninety two. Yep. So a six ninety two, and that shows you how heavily weighted it is towards right handers because that's only three points lower than their OPS against right handers, um, and eleven points higher than their OPS against lefties. Yeah. So right, I would say that it, I would categorize it as sucking though because the only teams worse are the White Sox, Tigers, Royals, and A's. And that's that's not good. <laughs> you want to be yeah. better than a, some other teams besides those ones. So. Yeah, it's all AL teams that aren't in contention. Yeah, wait, they're uh, so they're behind Cleveland. Uh, they're exactly tied with Cleveland. I was going to say Cleveland is the weird one because Cleveland is like their uh, 
it's their evil twin over in in the AL. Like Cleveland, any basically anything you can say about Cleveland, you could also apply that right to Milwaukee, right down to like where they are in the standings. Right. All right. Uh, let's talk All Star stuff because we're heading into the All Star break, and uh, over the weekend we got news that the Brewers have a second All Star now or at least a, a different all-star that'll be in Seattle. So uh, Devin Williams actually uh, replaced on the NL roster. Uh, not going to go. Thank uh, God. But mm. Yeah. <laughs> Could probably use that extra break after how much he's been used lately. Uh, so the Brewers now sending Corbin Burns to Seattle as a replacement, I believe, for Spencer Strider. That. I believe I, if so, I remember yes. correctly, yeah, and that's because so, Strider just pitched yesterday. So correct, yep. So he wasn't going to be able to pitch. So Burns, one of those uh, pitchers added to the roster to replace a pitcher who won't be able to pitch. That leads us to Mark Podscarby's question here, asking Burns as an All Star over Yelich. When's the last time the Brewers actually had an All Star who most fans would say was undeserving? So, um. I don't know, Paul, maybe you got to go back to the single representative years or something like that. But uh, I know it was definitely kind of a head scratcher given, you know, we've talked about Burns being closer to average than all-star quality this year, although he has kind of turned a corner the last couple of starts. I I guess your impressions on that. So they've had lots of all-stars who don't deserve to be all-stars because of the rule. Yeah, but I, I don't remember one quite like this where, um, you know, you, you uh, I guess he is their lone representative, but you had a better guy that you could have taken. However, in the modern age where nobody wants to stress pitchers, it's just far more likely that any random good pitcher makes the all-star team because mm-hmm. of people dropping out. You got to have arms there. And, um, you know, I'm sure that there's just a list they go down at some point, And Burns is probably pretty high on it from being a well-known good pitcher. So it's fine. And, um, you know, that's why Yelich didn't get picked over him. You have to get arms out there. That's that's the exact reason, even though it's kind of weird. But that's how it goes in baseball these days. You need to you don't want to have a tie again. Right. Um, With uh, Jose Hernandez striking out when he could win the game. (laughs) Uh, So the thing with Corbin Burns making it is. First off, we did learn that uh, part of the reason that, like, it was Wander Franco, I think they showed, like, he uh, he wasn't on the All-Star initial announcement, and then he actually didn't get in on the first replacement either because he had fewer votes. There, there's something about the votes from players, and that's what this is. This is Corbin Burns getting in because his rep among players is still good. That's basically what this is. This is... Other players saying, we still think Corbin Burns is good. Uh, you could call that like, a, I don't know, a lifetime achievement sort of. Oh, that's that's bad because it implies he's at like the end of his rope. But it's <laughs> it's more that. It's not he, Mike Schmidt making it after he retires. Yeah. Right. It This is him getting in on rep and getting in on what he's done in the past as opposed to what he's done this year or whatever. And it is. Our expectations of Burns are kind of driving this because Paul's right. He has a 109 ERA plus right now. He's positive. People talk about him like he's actually bad. And it's not that he's actually bad. It's just that he's been, you know, sort of like a third starter for them this year. And that's not what you expect out of Corbin Burns. So it's this is mostly about expectations. But there had to have been better pitchers that were guys who were more deserving of it based on what they'd done this year. Um, or if you wanted to take the what they've done since last All-Star game, because Burns wasn't his normal self in the second half of nope, last year sure either. Wasn't. So there are better guys that could have been picked here, but also it's the All-Star game and who really cares? Yeah, That's the real lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the points don't it is matter. Kind of the a, rules are made up. Exactly. It is kind of a bummer that uh, it doesn't look like Yelich is going to make it unless, you know, Lurie Gurriel snaps his leg or something on Sunday, right? Like, <laughs> it doesn't look like he's going to make it, but... Um, do they not it, do the it, last you, vote in thing anymore? Like they no, used to? they don't. Oh, that's no, annoying because nope, we definitely would have gotten him in if that was the case. But oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Milwaukee <laughs> loves the last vote thing. That's yeah, probably why they not. don't do it anymore. It's probably one of the many other rules yeah. that the Brewers have ruined for everybody else. Right. Yeah. Corey Hart and All Star. No, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to look at the the warp leaderboard here to see if there are any other uh, pitchers not on the roster. And admittedly, I don't know all like 48 pitchers on the roster now. So, <laughs> but looking at the warp leaderboard, Logan Webb's at the top. I believe he was in anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mitch Keller from the Pirates is seventh overall in the majors at 2.5 warp. Uh, you got Zach Gallen, obviously an all-star Zach Wheeler, 2.3. Uh, Aaron Nola, 2.1. Like there, there's names, but a lot of these guys already named. So uh, it might just be a case where, yeah, you're already all the way down the the order. And unless you're going to add Justin Steele, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so Wait, Justin Steele didn't make it? He had to have made it. Did he make it? I have, like I said, I have no idea. It's Sunday morning. I'm totally unprepared for this. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was with Ryan. I assumed Justin Steele was in, but we have bad Googling yeah, we'll, machines today. We'll 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 fact check. I'm it. working yeah, on it right yeah. now. Right. Like Paul's, he had to have Paul's made the All-Star game. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. All right. Uh, meanwhile, let's move on to Jay Google here asking uh, something. Paul, you referenced at the top of the show. Are we over the Owen Miller first base experience? Yeah, we are. I. I still don't understand. Uh, like, okay, everybody who's played Little League has played first base at some point, um, and so you have like major league first base is different. People are throwing the ball very hard at you. Brian Anderson is sometimes throwing the ball a hundred miles an hour at you. Uh, I get all that, but like everybody who plays a like a, no- a normal position in the field is good at catching balls. Uh, often that are hit and have weird spin on them and stuff, and it doesn't seem like it would be harder to do it at first base. Like it, uh, uh, like I know the thing is it's incredibly hard, but it's really not. It's why Rowdy Telez plays first base because it's not hard. Uh, if it was hard, then Willie Adamas would play first base. And like, how can you be <laughs> this bad at it? Like, uh, I don't, I, I don't understand how a major league player can be that bad at first base. Uh, and, like, I know Chris Davis was apparently a butcher at first base to the point where he couldn't play there, too. So there's some guys who just don't have it. Um, but aside from all that, how, how do you end up with Owen Miller over? Like, I know somebody's got to play it. He's on your bench. But, like, uh, catchers can play that usually pretty well because they're good at stabbing things that are in the dirt and stuff. But, yeah, that should end. That's a bad experiment. It did not go well. Um, Owen Miller also... Uh, losing value all over the place <laughs> and uh, maybe it doesn't offer any of it anymore in any place and um, should maybe go away completely at some point in the not too distant future but yeah they should stop that do something else it really really screwed them and cost them a game well there's nothing wrong with Owen Miller as like a bench piece the yeah. problem is that he's been pressed into service as a starter especially a starter at first base where he doesn't have the bat for it his OPS for the season now has dropped under 100 yeah, I'm which not, I knew was is coming. He, is he a good bench piece? Because I think we may have played out the the three percent exit velocity luck of Owen Miller at this point. I think he's a good bench piece because he's actually pretty competent. Jonathan Judge was pointing this out yesterday on Twitter. He's a very competent second baseman, and I think he can play the other positions. He can go to third base and play it well, or I shouldn't say well. He plays second base well. I think he can play third base competently, and. I would assume he can go play shortstop like in a pinch. Um, The weird thing is that he's played a lot of first base. He did this in Cleveland last year, too. And somebody, was it James? Were you the one doing the Google search of uh, Owen Miller first base and people screaming in Cleveland about why? It was not. No, it wasn't me. But I know Tito had an affinity for Owen Miller as well. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, the reason that he's playing first base right now is because Rowdy is hurt or whatever Rowdy is. Like, they're doing the, the fake, thing they fake do. Fake IL, yes. Yeah, they're doing, yes, the phantom thing or just the, like, get your headset right so that you can come back and be good offensively and all of that. Um, but, no, I mean, the reason he is there is because Luke Voigt failed, because um, Jonathan Singleton failed, because uh, I guess you could go back and yeah, look at, uh, like, who else... Like, because Keston Hero got hurt and then hasn't, like, he's also not a first baseman. Like, this is a, a case where the reason he's there is that all these other plans have also failed. Everything is going wrong on this front. And so you sort of have to, like, figure out how you're going to proceed with it. And 
I, I've seen a lot of people pointing to the idea that they just are done with Rowdy and they're just like sick of him. And I get it. And there's like an impulse to like cut your losses and just be done with a guy. But the problem is, is that I don't see how you're going to replace him with a guy who is actually better than him and offers the same upside that he does. You can cut your losses and say, well, we don't want Rowdy's 83 OPS plus out there anymore or whatever it had fallen to that. We don't want that out there anymore. But you also have to look at, well, is the guy that you're getting actually likely to be good? Because Rowdy has good in his locker. We've seen good from him over the last couple of years. We know that he has that there. So the question is, like, uh, do you want to just cut your losses on this and be done with him because you're sick of seeing him? Or do you actually have a plan? And I don't know what that plan would be. I, I've looked around. I don't see an obvious guy that they could go out and pick up unless something weird happened, like the Pirates deciding to sell. And then you go out and, like, bring in Carlos Santana. But, like, he's not even that good. Right. So. I, I don't know what the, the alternatives are here just because they've already kind of run through a lot of their alternatives. I wouldn't mind Hira getting another chance, but... <laughs> but he's, he's not a he's, first baseman. He's not good at defense. That is true. I mean, if you want somebody who can, like, pick baseballs and make plays over there, that's not Hira. I, I think Hira might be a, a, a shout for a different position, but we have another question on that, so I'll yep. just wait. Yeah, I, I think I would settle for somebody Willie Adamas is confident just throwing the baseball to. But uh, Price Rosen asking here, adding on to Jay Google's question, the first base options appear to have been depleted, as you guys said. As much as we love Rowdy, even when not hurt, he's kind of meh, and there doesn't seem to be anyone in the pipeline. What can be done going forward to help at first? So you guys kind of referenced this, but even, Paul, the trade options in the next couple of weeks probably aren't that sexy. No, it, there's there's not a quick fix here, and um, it's it's just going to be trade deadline so hard now because so many people are competing all the time that you just can't go get a fix. Um, it would be nice to have someone with the, at least the flexibility to actually go over there. Um, so I, I think the big thing with with Miller is like you think you have a guy who can just stand over there and do it. And um, not having that is kind of annoying. The lack of versatility at first base on the team is uh, honestly kind of amazing given that they do have guys that can play up the middle. Uh, and I guess it would be just embarrassing to have like Bryce Terang standing over at first base. Uh, so they probably won't do that. Um, although f fun experiment for, for the defense. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not an obvious big thumper out there that they can go get that's necessarily better than than Telez is. Uh, if he were, uh, in fact, on the trade block, someone would very likely come calling for him for a relief pitcher. So uh, th they probably are kind of stuck with what they have or another utility guy that you can just stand over there, but that's kind of it. Yeah, you know what I forgot about? Darren Ruff and his lacerated knee. Yeah. Like, they also brought they him did. in Darren and Darren Ruff tried. was here for one game. and that Yeah, one. and then, yeah, completely messed up his knee and went on the 60 day IL. So, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at this list, it's CJ Cron. Like, and the Rockies are so bizarre. They'd never want to trade guys. Even when they're like pending free agents, the Rockies don't generally trade guys because they, their owner has it in his mind that they're going to, you know, just got to get, get on, on a heater here, just get on a big run and they're going to win it out. And like, so they they do all these incredibly stupid things like holding on to the CJ Crons of the world. Though that that is somewhat interesting. I don't even know has Cron been any good this year. Though? He has not. Okay, um, I'm looking it up right. Not his normal CJ Cron self. He he is a 7.23 OPS. Uh, his OBP is really down from what I expect out of Captain Walks over there. Uh, is 2.49, 2.91, slash line. So like that slugging is okay in a vacuum, but not really if you're playing for the Rockies. Um, so, you know, he'd probably be a minor improvement over what they've had. Maybe, um, but maybe, may, yeah, maybe, but he's not a sure thing. I would say, um, although getting out of Colorado might perk you up a little bit too. Well, getting out of Colorado though, hitting in Colorado is always good. So like his numbers are probably at least somewhat inflated by playing in Colorado. He's basically been rowdy, actually. Uh, his last three OPS pluses are 129, 108, and 84. So um, oh. that's 
pretty much we, we got that at home. That is basically <laughs> Rowdy. Yeah, he is a right-handed version of that. And that isn't to say that like adding a guy like that could make sense because what you're trying to get is somebody to go on a heater in the second half, right? Yeah. And you could potentially play Kron at a number of positions. If if Rowdy were to get hot, you wouldn't need to like bench him. You would just slide one of them to DH. So you would uh, there's there's lots of different ways this can go. Honestly, the fact that he's been bad probably makes him a little more likely to be traded by Colorado because he's less likely to be part of a heater in the minds of their idiot owners. So there's there's that. It could be. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can we can hope for that. But then again, there's probably if the Brewers are interested, if they see something in him, then, you know, there's like five other teams that are interested, too. And because, like Paul said, everybody is interested in uh, in uh, contending at this point. There's you know, so many playoff spots. There's just precious few uh, teams yeah. that are clearly out of it. Also, like the Cubs first base in DH situations are as bad as the Brewers. So yeah. you will also be against them and anybody at these positions that you're bidding against. And that's hilarious because the Cubs have in the offseason, they went out and added every first baseman that like <laughs> you possibly could. Trey Mancini. Mancini, yeah. Uh Eric Osmer. Uh and that was to block the Matt Mervises and uh I guess Morell. I, I think Morell. Like those guys get kind of pushed aside a little bit so that they could give Eric Osmer a bunch of plate appearances yeah. for some god unknown reason. Morell, they kind of move all over uh the place. They they do. Um, Morell moves around and he actually is like He's like, awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. There's, well, we'll see once he gets like fully exposed what that looks like. Because I have a feeling that there are some places that teams will start to attack in that swing that uh, he may have some trouble adjusting to. I think there's there's a reason they've been holding back on having him play as much as uh, they otherwise might have. But that might be giving Jed and company too much credit. I don't know. <laughs> I tend to think of them as not complete idiots. By the way. Did you notice this week, like every single game against the Brewers, they were grinding our pitchers out of games in like the fourth and fifth inning. Yep. And it's amazing that even when the Cubs offense isn't good, they still, and this is basically since Jed and Theo got there in whatever it was, 2011, 2012, um, they just assemble offenses that will grind your pitchers to dust. Yeah, they do. I mean, every single at bat is going six, seven, eight pitches. And like, and then, you know, they'll, they'll work a walk out of you. And now all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, we're 15 pitches in and there's two men on and nobody out. And you're like, ah, this is every single game seems yeah. to go like this. It's incredibly frustrating. And I guess it's, it, it is, that's also very Moneyball 1.0. Cause that's kind of how those Yankees and Red Sox teams were constructed. Right. That's back why everybody complained day. about them so much. That's why every Red Sox Yankees game was four and a half hours long. Yes. That a hundred percent. Yeah. All right, uh, let's talk about another disappointing Brewers bat. Bob Peterson with the next question this week asking if and when the Brewers DFA Jesse Winker, who is the most likely candidate to take his roster spot, uh, one, Keston Hira, two, Sal Fralick, or three, someone not on the roster. So uh, just for context, coming into Sunday, Jesse Winker was below replacement level on fan graphs and at replacement level on prospectus. Uh, perfect zero warp there. He's got a WRC plus of 67. He's hitting 197 and a 252 slugging percentage, which is the biggest issue there. So I guess, Paul, despite his WPA successes, <laughs> uh, who do you think ends up replacing <laughs> him in the lineup and on the roster? Um, I think probably Frelick um, because... I, 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 it's been kind of weird he hasn't been up yet. And he had the injury and all that, I know. And the opportunity hasn't arisen. Just bad luck there. But I think that they'll want a little bit of versatility. And um, I'm not I'm not predicting Keston for anything. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing his bat up again. Um, but I think when they do bring somebody up, they'll want the ability to, to move around and play guys a little bit more um, than just having... Keston, you know, stuck at DH. Although, I mean, Winker's just DH. You could do that. You can flip him in there, and if he hits, great. But like, it's Frelick's been good enough. Um, you know, he 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 probably deserves a cup of coffee up there at least to check him out. So I will bet on him. Um, but you never know. They're, they're weird on here. Uh, I think that they don't know what to do with him either. And he he would slot into DH. <laughs> it's the one position he's good at. Yeah, I think it probably 
Freilich, if he comes up, it's like to replace Perkins or if they decide to DFA Toppy because they realize that he's bad. Like, well, yes. and the thing is, they the, need the reason that yeah, those do. guys are there mostly is because they're solid to good defenders. And so they're doing a decent job of of doing that part of the job, which is the the model for the Brewers this year is, well, if we can't figure out how to hit, we might as well be really good at run prevention and and play up the defensive aspect. Uh I think if you're looking at who's going to take over as the DH and play a lot of those games as a, they might do something of a rotation. Like that's what, what I was kind of thinking. Well, Yelich yesterday was at DH. And so you might see more of that while you get somebody like Freilich in there. That, that could be a path, but I think it probably is Hira. And it's just because if they decide, okay, we think Hira can, we need to improve the offense. We need to boost that back up. I think they might be waiting on that right now because they want to see what happens at the deadline. I think that you could see Keston Hira once they get sorted out what they're going to do at the deadline. I think Hira coming up on like August 1st is a distinct possibility. Once they have a better idea of what their roster is going to look like after that, I think that could be a thing. But, um, I mean, here's the the dirty truth about why Jesse Winker is still getting into the lineup as often as he is. Um, he has a 320 on base percentage, and that's, you know, obviously he's a 197 batting average, so it's very, very low, but 320 on base percentage. And let me just run down the on base percentages here for you. Okay, William Contreras, uh, 344, so obviously better. Yeah. Rowdy, 285. Bryce Trang, 269. Uh, Willie Adamas, 294. Brian Anderson, also exactly at 320. So those two are uh, right there at the same number. Yelich, obviously good, 379. Um, Joey Weimer, 293. Uh, Blake Perkins, 302. And Owen Miller, uh, on the way down, he'll he'll probably get under uh, Jesse Winker here pretty quick. He's at 324 right now. Um, Caratini, 346. So he's doing a good job in the backup catcher spot. They don't have guys who get on base, and at least Jesse Winker has can give them that. It's not what you want out of the position, but I think it's kind of what they're they're trying to uh, to scrape together what they can here. And Jesse Winker at least does work pitchers and get on base. And so I think unless they can find something that they think is clearly better than that. Um, we're probably looking at him being here for a while. I don't, I, they could pull the plug on him at any moment. They might just decide, you know what? It, this isn't going to happen. He's not going to start hitting for power again. But I think that as things stand, you can't just spit on that 320 on base percentage because that's something they just don't have a lot of yeah, as, as mediocre as the rest of the numbers are. They, they, the on base percentage is playable. Maybe that's where all of his WPA gains are, <laughs> like working walks in late situations. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, on the topic of Hira, I actually kind of wonder, you know, like there, there's obviously a, a segment of the fan base that wants him up, clearly just, you know, to try to give a jolt to the offense. But the fact that he's still not on the 40 man, uh, part of me is yeah. like, are they just hanging on to him to to throw out as a reliever, you know, the, the trade chip you use to get your reliever of the year or something like that. I don't know. And that is also very possible, though. If you called him up to the big leagues at this point, you could potentially get more for him. But you, it also might completely, well, you know, not completely eviscerate the value, but like him struggling at the big league level might hurt. Also, it might make him more difficult to trade because if he's on the 40 man, Whoever right. trades for him would need to have him on the 40 man as well. Whereas right. if they trade him, the team that trades for him doesn't necessarily have to put him on their 40 man right away. I don't believe I, I'm not sure hundred percent on how those rules work, but I believe that would mean that he could be, you know, stashed on their off their 40 man as well. So yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my thought too. Maybe he's got slightly more value, uh, you know, if you don't have to put him on the roster right away. But that, it just seems like they're keeping him off the roster for whatever reason. Sure does. Possibly for that. All right. Uh, let's move to the next question here. Uh, speaking of trades, Adam Post asking, 
Ryan, please make your case as to why MLB should allow the trading of draft picks. I agree with you. <laughs> okay, so this is a historical thing. You need to understand why MLB was loathe to allow the trading of draft picks. And that was because there was a fear back in the Wild West days before there was the, the signing pool uh, in place limiting what teams could spend on their draft picks that what was going to happen was players were basically going to hold out and put up huge astronomical numbers. They were going to ask for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Remember back in the days when like Steven drew, well, both drew brothers did this and I don't know the Travis Lee's of the world. Like there's, there's these guys who are all Boris clients, right? Who forced their way to be taken well lower than what, uh, their talent would indicate that where they should have been taken by having huge signing bonus demands. And some team would swoop in, generally a big market team, would swoop in and give them that big signing bonus demand. And so the fear was that if you allow trading of picks, you just give uh, players that much more power to basically force teams to start trading picks away and that it would be another reason that... Um, player salaries would inflate or sorry signing bonuses would inflate well it's been like 10 years now since the owners got their precious cost certainty on the the bonus pool thing where it's not exactly uh a set amount that you pay like in the nfl my understanding is if you're this slot, you, you get drafted here, this is what you're going to get. And there's really nothing to even argue about anymore, right? For the most part, that's true. It's much more true in the first round. Um, second rounders have actually been getting more guaranteed. More, there's like stuff to fight about. Uh, okay. Like over, but so, but that's like, there's not a lot of wiggle room. That's correct. Yeah. So the situation in, in baseball now is that with the, the bonus pool lock in the way it is, it's basically put a cap on what guys can get. Like this year, you have Dylan Cruz, who a lot of people have number one on their draft board in terms of talent, um, is asking for a $10 million bonus. And I mentioned this on the minor league extra. He's, and so people think he might slip now to second or third, the second or third pick. He's not going to fall any further than that, but he might slip out of the number one spot because of his bonus demands. Well, that's pretty limited. It, it, there's, there's not much you can do there. Um, but the, the biggest reason why you would want to have the signing of or the trading of draft picks is it makes rebuilding it, it should make it go that much smoother and it should be a, a quick, efficient way. Think about a team that is trying to rebuild and they're trying to get themselves sort of back on their feet. They would collect draft picks, right? Like this is what you would do. They would go up and they would try to add a lot of draft picks and not even necessarily a ton of first rounders but a lot of second, third, fourth rounders, they would stock up on those picks and they would take their money and reshuffle it over. And that might actually be the reason that we're seeing uh, that we're seeing some hesitancy on this. It might be somewhat that the union doesn't want it, though. I, I think that with the, the bonus pools being what they are, that money is sort of going to be spent no matter what, right? Like that if you, if a team trades, their second rounder to another team, well, the slot money would move with that. Right. That's That would have to happen for right. this to work. Much yes, like. it, would, it would have to happen and work that way, that the, the slot money would move with it. So that should still mean that the slot money available for draft picks should be the same no matter what. It should be a zero-sum game that way. So yes. I don't even know why the union would necessarily object to it. I don't know. I said this on Twitter. I don't know why this hasn't happened. It's so weird. And it seems like it would make a lot of sense from a intrigue in draft night because a lot of the big drama in any draft comes from, oh, there's a there's a trade like any draft that has that going on. And we've already seen MLB loosened it up with the, the compensation round picks. Those have been able to be traded for a couple CBAs now. Yep. And the sky didn't fall. The earth didn't, you know crumble asunder like it it's just fine so this doesn't make any sense to me why they haven't done this yet yeah i don't understand why the players would have a problem with it for all the reasons ryan said uh, the, the the money available doesn't change at all uh, and owners should be all over this because the one thing they still get pilloried for is like a mega tank for multiple seasons uh to get back into contention and this would uh, a just allow them to have a much better plan and not certainty because you know, drafts are always uncertain, but 
like have just a much better chance of making it all happen all at the same time. Um, and so especially the small markets, I would say, should definitely be all over this. I um, I don't see how it harms big markets. They can play the same game. Um, I, I'm shocked it hasn't happened. It's such an easy thing to do. Like trading in the, in the NBA is like doing calculus homework. Um, baseball should be able to figure this out. It's not that complicated. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and there aren't the complicating factors in baseball too. Like there isn't a salary cap to worry about. You just have the bonus pool thing. Yeah, and as far well, as that is kind of the salary cap, but yeah, it is the salary cap. But as far as like complicating factors go, that's really mild. It's very easy to understand. Yes, it's just, every it's every per, every person with a blog out there goes, oh, okay, so they've reported this much. Okay, so this is how much the uh, the slot has moved down. This is how much the team still has to spend. And when it comes to the, the deadline day for signing all your draft picks, like everybody kind of knows exactly what the team still has to spend and how they might rearrange that money to, to other players. So this is not difficult. You're right. This is not like the NBA where you do have to have like some sort of advanced math degree or the NFL where the rules are just so... Well, both of those leagues, they've they've built in so many exceptions and so many rules and whatever yeah. that, like, salary caps are stupid. I hate them. The biggest one for me is, like, veterans run the union, and veterans should be hugely in favor of us loosening this up a lot um, because it's an easy way for them to get on good teams at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm, like, right. that's uh, And that also helps the entertainment value of the product as well. Like, it makes it much... Trading players for players to to load up for a, a stretch run is hard. Uh, trading players for draft picks um, is much much easier and much more attractive and lucrative for the teams on the outside looking in as well. So, like if you're looking to get you know that last gasp chance at a a, a title, like this helps those veterans a lot as well. So, uh, uh, who's against it? Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the only thing I could think is that it may just be largely unnecessary because. In the NFL, in the NBA, there isn't the equivalent of prospects the way there is in in baseball. When you trade future wins in the NBA, you kind of have to trade draft picks, right? Like, that's what you have to trade. Maybe you have some young player who hasn't shown much yet, but that's even, like... That's pretty speculative, right? Like the even well, there, not an NBA guy, but NBA trades you got to match salary for salary with some exceptions too. So you're always throwing in contracts and players, no matter what. No, no, no. That I understand. I'm just saying that, like, um, the fact that baseball has prospects in a way that the NFL and NBA don't really have prospects the same way. That's kind of what baseball's equivalent of trading draft picks already is: is trading prospects. I suppose so. There, like, there isn't a huge amount of pressure, but still, I, it feels like a, you could just do this as well, and it would be fine. And it, I, I still, I don't understand why they don't do it. It doesn't make sense to me. And you hear this complaint from people that cover the draft too. They're like, "We don't understand. We have no idea." <laughs> All right, last couple of questions here this week. Let's go to Jason Spitz, who is asking, is there any chance they extend Willie Adamas? Maybe the down year makes a deal slightly more possible. The idea of him entering Manning the middle infield for the next several years is pretty exciting. So I think, Paul, you know, we were talking before the year that he's probably priced himself out of Milwaukee already, looking at some of the free agent contracts for shortstops. But uh, has the calculus kind of changed a little given his struggles this year? Uh, maybe. Um, I, I would say it's more possible that he comes back because bad seasons do knock you down a little bit. But I still kind of doubt it. Uh, I think... He kind of wants, I mean, he's a good guy. He seems to like Milwaukee fine, but I still think he wants to try and cash in um, by playing the the market and will not like take a team friendly deal necessarily. But uh, I mean, uh, he's not going to be like the mega um, super paid shortstop like we saw the last season um, for sure. And that probably does put him in play. So yeah, I'd say it increases his chances of some kind of weird extension by like ten percent or so. Um, but I, I still uh, like all the noise coming out of uh, all the extension candidates has been uh, not really interested. So I'd still say more likely than not no. But hey, um, you know if he keeps this up, he's not going to have as many bitters as he did before, and the ones he gets aren't going to be as fun as what he maybe would like. So it's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, never count anything out. Yeah. But I think they just like to shuffle things and keep it moving and 
they're already locked into one big hitter contract. So that's always the thing that has made me a little skeptical is like, are you going to lock yourself into another big hitter contract? Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible and I think he would like to do it, but I don't know it. What he's going to get in free agency is largely going to depend on what his offense looks like uh, next year, right? Like what he's eligible to get. Uh, we, we don't even see it like this year. He can have a down year. And then if he has a really good offensive year next year, he's right in line for a Dansby Swanson deal, right? Like yeah. it's the way that this works is, is so silly sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's definitely a, a, would be a risk on the Brewers part too to, you know, give out that big contract to a guy who's already proven to be a little up and down. You don't want another Yelich situation, right? Yeah. So um, that, and also, that's like different. you're buying when you buy Adamus, uh, the offense is speculative. That the defensive floor is what brings a lot of that value. And uh, right. next year will be his age 28 season, and shortstops don't fall off that quickly. But you start to get into the range where that floor becomes far less certain as well. And when you combine those two, that, that can become a problem pretty quickly. I actually heard a thing from Eno Saris. He was talking about this. Um, there wasn't, other than like, now that Brandon Crawford has not be, is not an everyday player, there wasn't an everyday shortstop who was older than like 33. I mean, that sounds about right. Because like, <laughs> it's Elvis, hard. Elvis Andrus is actually not that old that everybody thinks he is because he's been around since he was like 19 years old. But he's not actually that old. But I think he's like the oldest now at like 33 or whatever. So um, yeah, Saris was pointing that out. By the way, Total callback here because I, I just saw that I never mentioned this. Um, Justin Steele is on the all-star team and yeah. Stroman is advocating for him to start the game in his place. Okay. Because Stroman isn't going to be pitching in the all-star game. There you go. All right. Last question this week comes from Made Wiley asking, <laughs> is it time to have the conversation about the Brewers record with Ryan in attendance? Uh, so... Ryan, uh, you've seen some stuff this year. <laughs> yeah, so I'm currently 7-11 and 11 when I attend Brewer games, which is Oof. not great. I'm on a four-game losing streak at the moment. Um, I will be at the game later today. So, Ooh. yeah, so that's – by the time you listen to this, there's a, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully uh, it's a, you know, one-game winning streak instead of a five-game losing streak. But we will see how that ends up working out. Um, last year, though – I had a really good record. I don't remember what exactly what the record was. I was trying to pull it up, but I couldn't get it to come up on uh, on Elon's new terrible Twitter. So I couldn't dig back into my thing. Um, but I think I was like seven or eight games over 500. I think I also at the end saw a few losses in a row. So it may have ended up being like three or four games over 500. Point is, is that last year when everything went to hell um, and things were bad, I had a winning record so i don't think my being in attendance is actually like swaying things here i hate to you know be the downer <laughs> on that but like that is uh it, it seems somewhat speculative and i do have a lot of tickets so uh i will i will be there uh quite a bit so yeah we shall see what, what's the record ben since you failed to get a mullet on mullet day uh, probably zero and four. See, there's the problem. You needed to get the mullet. I needed to go over and get my my Weimer mullet. Yes, yeah. Well, it's the it's the mullet curse for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, it's. I don't, I don't know. Maybe what I, I, I personally would be willing to live with that curse myself if I was able to get a mullet, which. <laughs> Wait, you'd you'd be willing to have the mullet to no, no, avoid no. the curse, or just absolutely not. live with the curse? Yeah, you're cursed. If <laughs> if you are the if the Brewers are cursed because I don't have a mullet, that's fine. I'm good with that. Yeah. So I don't know. I've I've been to a lot of Brewer games over time. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. We're in our 18th season at our current uh, season seats, and have to have averaged in that time 20 plus games a year. And so you start doing the math on how many games that actually is. And it starts to stagger you pretty quickly. I've probably been to 300 plus Brewers games over the last 20 ish years. Uh, so, yeah, that it, the numbers start to become mind boggling. All right. Uh, 
so that'll do it for questions this week. Thank you, everybody, for sending those in. A reminder, the best way to get questions to us and make sure your question gets answered is patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority. When you sign up to become a patron at any level two, you get a shout out here on the program. And we've got uh, one to make good this week. Ryan, who who do we have joining us as a new patron? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been a little while. Um, welcome, Aaron Schmitz to the fold here uh we definitely appreciate it and uh aaron is now eligible and i don't know he maybe has already even listened to the uh, minor league extra he went and jumped in ahead of the minor league extra and usually those those minor league extras will uh boost things a little bit we'll see a, a push of at least a person or two so uh even if you're listening to this after the draft you can still go back and listen to what james said and see how it matches up with what he said uh with what actually happened so uh even if you miss that and then we will be doing another minor league extra in a few weeks it's probably going to be more towards the end of july but we're definitely going to do a draft wrap episode once we have that all in the books and have a feel for you know what happened there so um be on the lookout for that as well Absolutely. Uh, even if you're not a patron at that uh, $5 level for the extra content or the $2 level for question priority, you can support us another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you're listening to us right now. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. While you're there, hit the subscribe or follow button. Make sure you never miss an episode. You get those push alerts whenever Ryan posts the episode every week. Um, you can also subscribe to us on YouTube, listen to our episodes there, uh, and you know some select clips if you don't want to listen to the whole episode. I'll pull out a, a few interesting segments each week to throw on that YouTube page. Just search for at MKE Tailgate there. Uh, I think that'll do it for this week. We're going to wrap things up here as the Brewers head into the All-Star break. Hopefully they get uh, another win against the Reds, increase uh, their, their record against them this year for tiebreaker purposes, as Paul mentioned. Got to do it this month. So yep, this <laughs> you know. is it. Exactly. So uh, these are about as big as games in July can probably get at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, we will be back here next next time uh, recapping anything Brewers related in the All-Star game and, and uh, starting the second half here. So hope everybody enjoys the All-Star break. Uh, we will be back here next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Have a good one, everyone.